everybody, it's Microphones of Madness, the podcast where the greatest jokes are the hosts. I'm Rodney, over there, Steve. Mecca Steve. Mecca Steve. That's right, he'll be Steve versus Mecca Steve. It'll be the kaiju battle of the East Coast. That's right. The Baston Harbor. Oh no, there goes Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Go, go, Mecca Steve. <laughs> Tonight, we are postponing the apocalypse. All right. So, yeah, we are not actually talking kaiju or anything similar. We are talking Nimbani Tales by Charles Saunders, the godfather of Sword and Soul, the originator, and Come one, to me one on this day of my daughter's wedding. Not that godfather. But uh, yeah, one of one of the all time greats of sword and sorcery, so badass that he has an entire genre <laughs> of his own. Although it's not really by himself anymore. That's true. There, it's actually since we've been reading sword and soul stories for the show, the um, genre has grown. It has. It has uh, almost exponentially grown, um, possibly with a bigger explosion after the release of Black Panther. So, yeah, there's quite a few authors who who go into Sword and Soul and actively write these stories. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty damn cool. There there are a couple of noteworthy books in in the mainstream, but... uh, Sword and Soul still is kind of a, an independent and, and small press sort of uh, genre and market. So to find the good stuff, you really do have to do some digging. If you are interested, um, we'll contact a few people and get them to make another list. We had one posted up a couple of months ago. Come on, they're all good stories. That's true. We haven't We haven't run across a bad one yet. That's true. But even even then, as much as Sword and Soul as we have read, our our experience is still fairly narrow. Yeah, it's. it's <clears throat> but I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, Niambani is the setting of Emero, uh, Charles Saunders' great Sword and Soul hero. Uh, these are. Sorry. They're both. Uh, uh, it says in the introduction that Dosoye. Uh, actually occupies her own world. She was initially supposed to be part of Niambani. Oh. Well, there you go. See, that's how how nascent this this genre is. That's right. And <laughs> it pays to, to read the introductions. I have to cover my ass. Now, this is a collection that uh, MV Media put out, uh, Milton Davis's company, uh, in 2017. It's a collection of stories in the same milieu as MRO, the same continent, um, but a variety of different things that have been published elsewhere. And this book is fucking fire. That's a good book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good book. Yes, I agree. Uh, Saunders, Saunders is uh, one of the few living authors who will use the word fuse and use it to great effect. I think a lot of people who who are influenced by Robert E. Howard use the word fuse. 
Uh, I don't know. We've we've read a good bit of, of of this type. Well, not a good bit, but a decent amount. And and Saunders consistently uses the word fuse and uses it to excellent effect. It's always he, kind he of doesn't thrilling. use it tongue in cheek. No. <laughs> no, he uses it in in its proper usage, and uh, it's definitely not tongue in cheek. Although a couple of the stories in this collection are a little tongue in cheek. And that are the, the two that are relating to the character Pompus from from the MRO stories. Right. Yeah, it should be said that there's like most of these stories have absolutely buckus to do with MRO. Mm. So if you are reading these to get more MRO, you're gonna be disappointed. Right. Right. This is more stuff set in the that universe. Right. So this there's is There's a few stories that like kind of interact with Emero tangentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's characters that Emero has shared space with in his, his stories, Mm -hmm. but uh, the big guy ain't in this one. Right. Right. However, the official, his words, prequel to the Emero stories is leads off this book. It is, uh, Katisa. Katisa. Uh, and it is the story of Emero's mother. Yes. So if you've ever wondered what happened to Emero's mother, why she got chucked out of the village, all that crap, this this is it. This tells you what happened. It does not, however, tell you who Emero's father is. Right. Even though that's hinted very heavily in the, the MRI I've read, it might even have been revealed in a book I haven't read. Mm. But uh, this doesn't go there. No. And it doesn't have to because this is a, a story about her. Right. And so so there you go. That's, that's really kind of where, where it brings us in. As, as a collection of stories, it brings us in with the story of Emma Rose's mother. And it's like, okay, this is the the continent um, that this novel was set in or these novels. And we're going to bring it in at the very beginning before MRO is ever born. Well, uh, also if you are familiar with uh, Saunders's work, mm. more than likely you're familiar with MRO well, uh, yeah. because that's the not saying for everyone, but that's the usual jumping off point. Mm-hmm. So this story kind of functions by taking your knowledge of Emero and easing you into the rest of his world. Right. So it's a gateway, really. Uh, another thing that, that uh, Saunders does in this book is he adapts several African folk tales to this world. And it's pretty much taking the basic plot of the folk tale and putting it in the setting with the with the characters and the place names and things like that, um, and all of these are really well done. Um, they read like folk tales, and it works really well. It's like this book is just an absolute page turner from page one all the way through. Yeah, but they're not all like that. No, um, there's there's a variety of different kinds of tales, and and you could tell. The ones that you know he had, he adopted. Well, he tells you which ones in the right. introductions to the stories, but they have a, a different 
feel to them than say um you know something like uh the silent ghosts mm-hmm. or um the shigby i don't know how to pronounce that um which i actually had read prior to reading this Ooh. nice <laughs> um but yeah i mean there's there's like uh the death catalog de gene mm-hmm. and the return of sundiata mm-hmm. and oh, okay i'm sorry i'm pro- i suck at pronouncing words <laughs> so um okosene avakun and the magic guinea fowl mm-hmm. uh these are all like have that folktale kind of um, formula to them. Right, right. And I honestly, I don't know if I've read them adapted elsewhere or I've heard them, but either I've heard these stories or Saunders is fucking brilliant at making a story seem like you've heard it before. And it works really well. Death Cattle is, is was a story I really enjoyed. Uh, the story about the ogre. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I hadn't, um, heard of any of these tales before, but you could see where other authors in the genre get their inspiration and their voice from with these folk tales because goddamn if Milton Davis hasn't had the same tone in some of his stories. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's the way influence works is, you know, you, you, you see a writer that you like and you kind of, whether, whether subconsciously or even consciously start kind of imitating the style and you take on that voice and that's just how influence spreads. But it's not like, I'm not saying that Milton writes, um, Imaro Pastiche, because he certainly does not. And um, I know that Milton had written his first novel, um, Meji, prior to to, uh, discovering Saunders. Right. Even though Meji is about um, twins Mm. and the curse, the the curse of twins, Mm -hmm. um, as as is um, one of the stories here, which is uh, a Shigby. Mm-hmm. So, and and I also know for a fact that Milton Davis is uh, a researcher, right? So I'm sure that that a lot of the similarities come not only from from Saunders, but dipping in the same well, dipping in the same stories to influence. Uh, what they what they're writing mm. in terms of of their own work, right, right. Well, I mean, you know, there's that's influence is influence. Whether you know, and and if everybody's drawing from the same well, so to speak, uh, then you're going to get even similar in 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 voice from that, just because everybody's to continue the metaphor, drinking the same water. So, yeah, I mean, you read a lot of folk tales and you write a story that's meant to be like a folk tale. It's going to sound like a folk tale. But, you know, it's not to say that anybody that's come after Saunders is just copying him. You know, that's that's that would be 
just wrong. It's 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 not pastiche. It's homage. Right. And and <laughs> what one is greater than the other always. <laughs> There's just you know I guess that if you think of Saunders as the the progenitor of the sword and soul genre. Um, and the people who are writing it post Saunders um, as not as pastiche, because what I've read, none of it has been pastiche. No. As opposed to, if you think of Robert E. Howard as the godfather of sword and sorcery, mm. there's been a shit ton of pastiche. Yeah. yeah. Everybody just cre- takes Conan, changes his name, and makes him exactly the same. Or dumber. Or dumber. <laughs> But I think what you have here is the source material that Saunders uses mm-hmm. uh, is just more plentiful okay. and and richer mm-hmm. than uh, than the. It's hard to say it because you know there is a lot of source material for sword and sorcery beyond Robert E. Howard uh, in terms of like. European folk tales and, and whatever, but but for some reason people aren't going there, you know, for their for their inspiration, mm-hmm. or if they are, they're going there via Howard, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And I think one one of the advantages that um, Sword and Soul has had is that um, people like Milton Davis, who hadn't heard of Charles Saunders, started writing before they discover Saunders. Mm. So they had that direct path to the well. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the other things that, that has, we know, we mentioned this when we were talking about Kikanga. We mentioned this when we were talking about Emero the first time, uh, that the worlds of sword and soul, particularly here, Niambani, uh, hopefully I am saying that right or close enough. I think you've said it three different ways so far, so I think you're covering all your bases. Uh, probably. <laughs> um, Notice how I have not tried to pronounce it. That's right. That's right. That's why I'm making you say all the titles. <laughs> uh, is that this is a very vibrant setting, as opposed to some other settings, even Howard's, uh, you know, Hyborian age setting. Uh, this fantasy Africa is is very vibrant. You read through the stories, and you get sounds and smells, and and you can just it's, your mind's eye kind of takes over. Whereas you know a character like Conan and his you know millions of copies all stand on an empty field. Guilty. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know if I would say that Conan stands on an empty field. I think Hyboria. I think he did a really good job in in world building with Hyboria. Um, I just think that his that Howard's scope was um, less focused. Right. I, I think you know Howard's like, oh, I want to set a story in Afghanistan. Uh, right. Oh, this one's going to be in Egypt. Oh, this one's going to be in the Alps. Right. <laughs> and, but you know, he 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 picks and chooses through different ages and different lands that you know are disparate. And it, it's not so much as world building as uh, setting 
construction. Right, right. But as I was trying to say that, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem as as alive in, in my mind. Maybe it's because he focuses in, you know, with a laser pointer on Conan right away and Saunders, like, is always starts with a wide angle shot. Or yeah, you, with Conan, you don't get much more than than Conan. There's a couple in there that have their focus away from Conan for a bit, but I mean, you get a whole lot of Conan, right? <laughs> right, and in and in this particular book, we get, like I said, a lot of panning shot. You know, what in a film would be like, you open up and then you zoom in to the central character, and you kind of get this idea of you know a living world where you know you can hear the wind rustling through to drag your ass because the rains well, are late and you also get um, a story about pompous who was mm-hmm. you know an ancillary character in Amaro, mm-hmm. and here you have a full story about him but you never got like a full story about like the guy conan you know jacked on the street right <laughs> i mean how, how that we know of well, if it, if you did, it wasn't written by Robert E. Howard, right? It was it was DeCamp or something, right? Right. Now, speaking of the Pomphis stories, the Pomphis stories are radically different in tone than uh, most of the other stories in the book. Most of the other stories are very serious, uh, very heavy in tone. The Pomphis stories are very light, and they move. With a kind of uh, tongue in cheekness, al- almost kind of in the Clark Ashton Smith way of it seems like he's poking a little bit fun at the genre by doing this. But Pompous is a comedic character. Well, yeah, I mean, you, when when you open up the types of of characters that you're writing about, um you can open up the different tones and, and tell different stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not limiting yourself to, you know, what, Co- what Conan can do or what Amaro can do. Um, you know, even when like Conan is a thief, he's still Conan, mm-hmm. but, you know, and when he's a king, he's still fucking Conan and he can't get away from his being Conan. <laughs> but here, you know, you don't have to write. He, it doesn't all have to be about Amaro. So you have Pompous. You have other characters, and other characters have different tones to their stories. Because if they didn't, then they'd just be Amaro. I'll tell you another story. There's there's actually a third comedic story I found in the book, and Two Rogues. Um, yeah, Two Rogues is, is pretty funny. And it has, it has kind of a gallows, almost a black humor kind of ending to it. I don't know about how you responded, but I know when the big reveal at the end of the story came, I, I kind of got a chuckle out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely had that ironic twist kind of ending. Yeah. And and that was really well done. So, yeah, we have a, a kind of a gamut running through here. We have uh, a story that was billed as a horror story. That was really actually very romantic. Yeah, it was still kind of a horror story. Yeah, kind of, but still. It wasn't, um, like, it wasn't cosmic horror or anything, but, you know, 
how would you like it if you woke up and discovered that your uh, your new wife was not spoilered? <laughs> right. Was that was that a spoiler? Uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's you know, that's it's it's romantic, but you know, you can have horror and romance. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it works. Sometimes, sorry, this world couple is Dragula. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Uh, another thing is is that. You know, a lot of the conventions of sword and sorcery uh, are in this book, uh, but they still, even all this time from Conan, they still seem fresh. Uh, you know, just not not even well preserved, fresh like like Saunders invented these conventions himself. Well, Saunders also has the advantage of having written what like fifty years after Robert E. Howard. Right. And I would actually almost argue that he owes more to uh, Fufford and the Grey Mouser than he does to Conan. Well, Grey Mouser, Fufford and the Grey Mouser actually gets a shout out in the introduction to the first Pompous story. Yes. Because um, I don't know how much of that you've read, but those are more, they have a lot of the same tropes. But it's more of a uh, a zero sum game, I guess. At the end of the story, mm. I don't, I can't remember one where they actually ever achieve their goal. You know, mm. like God, for, God forbid, Conan fails at something, right? <laughs> but uh, even when Fawford and the Gray Mouser, you know, do what they're supposed to do, they lose something of equal right. Value. Or down the line, and this has more of that tone to it. Mm-hmm. And there's like a lot of dark irony in these stories. It's the um, Steely Dan of fantasy fiction, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but like, um, you know, I'm going to go back to these last three stories again, um, where you you have like that dark irony is is part and parcel for, it, especially the last two. Like uh, Mishigibi and the Silent Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Like the end of the Silent Ghosts was like fuck. Yeah, yeah. Plus, plus <laughs> that's got the the classic bait and switch going on. I mean, that, that the it there, was but, that's the longest story in the book, right. and it's probably the best one. And it like leaves you wanting more. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, is this really the end of the book? Am I at the end yeah, of the book? I'm, God damn it! <laughs> Am I, and you and you read that story, and, and you're just like. Fuck, <laughs> because everything and he did it really well. He did it very deftly. Um, it wasn't telegraphed. Mm-hmm. I will say um, in Ish- Ishigbi, it was a little bit telegraphed. The the twist ending, mm-hmm. um, but this one wasn't, and it like kind of like pulls the rug out from underneath of you. And while you're you're like sitting there with your jaw on the floor, going fuck. And then you turn the page and you're like, publishing history. God damn it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I just think that like this has gone beyond Robert E. Howard mm-hmm. and, and is using more of, of the, the non pastiche sword and sorcery as, as influence that came out, you know, later on. Right, right. 
But, you know, but all, all we're missing is a is an albino brooding prince with a rune blade. <laughs> um, now I don't think we're gonna find one of those with with Saunders. Uh, yeah, you have to you have to go to the guy that based all his stories on Polish folk tales for that. Does he have a a, a rune blade? Does no, the have a rune blade. Or? Nope, he has a steel and he has one steel sword and one silver sword, and that's what he does. No. No magic runes or anything. Doesn't like howl. Yeah, the sword is pretty basic. <laughs> um. So yeah, this this I would say, uh, even though it's it's a couple of years old and is you know, I, I kind of teased everybody when we announced that we were going to do this book that it was, or when uh, Milton was pushing this book on Facebook that this was fresh and new. Well, uh, I think he. I think they re. Um, Formatted it, reformatted, so it's like a re a second edition or something like that. Yeah, well, who knows? It's like electronic books, right? Well, still, regardless, uh, this is a I would say this is a must-have book if you are into fantasy, if you're into sword and sorcery. Uh, this, yeah, you got to have this on your shelf. Um, that's a good book. It is. It's it's an excellent book, and it is one of I would say one of the definitive books of the genre. Yes. Um, the other thing that it, that it does is, and if you look at the publishing history, mm-hmm. um, that this is unless you have money, patience, and time, you're not going to get um, all not, these stories. You're not, not going to get these stories. Yeah. Um, I had mentioned that I had read a Shigby before. That's because I have a copy of See, I can't even pronounce words I've pronounced all my life. Hecate's Cauldron. Right. I have a copy of that. Mm-hmm. Nice. And but you know, okay, that cost me five bucks somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but am I gonna ha- get a copy of Cascade Number Two from 1983? Right. Or the Diversifier, number 16, from 1976. Or, oh, I found Cascade number one. Can I find Cascade? Or I found Cascade number two. Can I get Cascade number one? Or Weird Book 11? I mean, there's just, like, stuff that you're just not going to get. Right. So here you have uh, these, I won't say obscure, but rare stories. Right. Uh, because until recently, you know, nobody gave a shit about Charles R. Saunders. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of, you know, a very, very, small very story. narrow. Yeah. And now uh, his writing is starting to gain traction, uh, both in Sword and Soul. I know there's like a bunch of people in, in the weird fiction community who are head over heels. Um, I, you know, I guess if you consider us to be part of weird fiction or whatever, yes, we're guilty. Um, no. So he is starting to, his popularity is starting to creep outside of the insular, you know, fandom that it was in before. So this is a very timely book as well. Because yeah. you you, you're not getting these stories anywhere else. Right, right. Definitely. definitely. That's why I said it's a must-have for your collection. Um, if, if, you're, if you're new to this Afrocentric fantasy because you read uh, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, or Children of Blood and Bone, Definitely go out and get this book, um, because as we said, 
Saunders is the Godfather. He is the man. He is. I don't. I don't know about Steve, but to me, he is Mister Saunders. <laughs> I just call him Charles whenever I see him. Well, I never. I never get to see him. He has never spoken to me, so until that happens, it's Mister Saunders. <laughs> um. Yeah. And, you know, on this occasion of his daughter's wedding. <laughs> That's right. That's he. You kiss his ring. But, uh, yeah, that uh, there it is. Neon Bonnie Tales. Have I said uh, it now, a fourth now time? I'm waiting for Charles Saunders to look Milton Davis in the eye and give him the kiss on the lips. <laughs> Alfredo. This is your fault. You use the Godfather metaphor. It's like one, the only fucking gangster movie I've ever seen. So there you go. And it wasn't Martin Scorsese. All right. So there it is. Neon Bonnie Tales. Get it. Yeah. Go Exclamation pick it up. point. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it from MV Media. You can get it from Apple. But the, yeah, go. this is not a, this is not a, oh, check it out if you want to or anything like that. No, this is stop this episode right now because we're in the middle of the outro and go buy this book. Wait, but before you do that, keep 30 luck points. That's right. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Keep 30 luck points.